You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Advanced Treatments and Innovations from Mayo Clinic. Here's your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a disease that often goes underdiagnosed, leading to life-threatening consequences. For patients suffering from this disease that are asymptomatic and unaware, how have the 2020 AHA-ACC guidelines changed to help better detect and treat this potentially fatal disease? This is ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle. Here with me to discuss these guidelines and the treatment landscape for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is Dr. Steve Amon, a cardiologist and medical director of the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Clinic at Mayo Clinic and the chair of the 2020 AHA-ACC Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Guideline Writing Committee. Dr. Amon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Of course. So to start, can you tell us a little bit about these guidelines and what do cardiologists and primary care doctors need to know? Yeah, so the guidelines, as people are likely aware, but worth covering is really a two-year process from selecting a writing committee to reviewing literature since the last time a guideline has been published around any particular disease, vetting that data and coming up with recommendations with a goal to aiding the clinical practice for all providers taking care of patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And so this year in November, we published our 2020 guideline. And there are a few things that are updated compared to the prior version. And one of them is an emphasis on shared decision-making with patients to make sure that patients have a voice as diagnostic and treatment decisions are being made for their individual care. There's also a focus for the first time in a guideline document on making sure to incorporate the role of specialty centers, so-called centers of excellence, as part of a patient's care, particularly for this condition, which most cardiologists only see a handful during their careers. It makes it difficult to be up on some of the more nuanced conditions that can happen to patients during their journey with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And then largely, the guideline is really trying to interpret what the expert centers are already doing in their practices and trying to reinterpret that so that providers who don't work in expert centers can get patients started down the right pathway for their assessment and care and then engaging those experts when needed. So there's there's a lot of evolution in these guidelines compared to the last time. Interesting. And do you think these guidelines will change Mayo's practice? I think that the guidelines largely reflect the practice that we at Mayo have been using. And so the idea is to take what we've learned through the research and academic enterprise, interpreting it in our centers, but now making it available for practicing cardiologists and primary care specialists who have these patients in their practice to understand what the current state-of-the-art care is. So it's not so much changing our practice as reflecting the changes we've made over time so that the rest of the medical community can take advantage of those learnings. And are there any areas of contention or controversy in terms of these guidelines? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of points that are worth going into. One of the more longer parts of a discussion with a patient with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy has to do around the risk of sudden cardiac death and whether that patient wants to pursue getting an implantable defibrillator. So the overall risk for sudden cardiac death in HCM generally is about 1% per year. 
but there's a number of risk factors that can be used to identify patients who have higher than usual risk. And trying to incorporate that into a discussion that helps a patient decide whether or not they want an implantable device or not is a difficult conversation. And over the past decade, there's been a little bit of controversy over the best way of utilizing the presence or absence of certain risk factors to make that decision or a novel risk calculator that gives the patient the concept of the magnitude of their risk and trying to bring that international controversy to some sort of middle ground is something that we tackled in this guideline and tried to incorporate both approaches. We identified that a patient has risk factors or not And then we use that risk calculation to give the patient the idea that, well, if your risk is 6% over the next five years of having a sudden death event, but letting the patient express their risk tolerance, because some people would hear that 6%, it's a really scary number. And other patients are going to hear that as a 94% chance that nothing's going to happen to them. And maybe they don't want a device in that circumstance. And so that's a little bit of a controversy or actually trying to bring a controversy to less heated debate. The other major controversy in this is how we approach exercise and sports participation for patients with HCM. Based on historic data that show that among athletes who have died suddenly, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy appears to be overrepresented. But more recent studies that focus on HCM patients can't detect that among HCM patients, athletes or heavy exercisers are dying faster than their non-exercising counterparts. And so trying to justify those two things, which likely means, yes, risk is higher, but that risk is probably small enough that current studies are underpowered to detect that difference. How do you counsel an individual patient who might be an athlete who wants to continue perhaps with a life-changing career? And what we've done in the guidelines were before it was prohibited, we were basically said HCM patients should not compete in athletics. We have opened up the possibility again for an individualized discussion with that patient to understand what the risks may be and whether or not they want to continue to pursue that, recognizing that the conversation between me as the practicing cardiologist and the patient won't decide whether they can play for a given team or college per se, because that team or college is likely going to have their own medical and legal staff that's going to weigh in on that decision. But it opened up the possibility for dialogue rather than just a dogmatic closed door. For those of you who are just joining us, this is Advanced Treatments and Innovations from Mayo Clinic on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Caudill, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Steve Amon, chair of the writing committee for the updated 2020 AHA-ACC guidelines for the diagnosis and treatment of patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. We're talking about these guidelines and emerging treatment options as well. So Dr. Amon, let's switch gears and talk about treating this disease. Are there any new treatment options that you'd like to discuss? The current toolbox for treating patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is largely the same in terms of which medications we use and which procedures we may use if medications aren't successful. What we've done in this guideline is tried to be a little bit more clear in how you progress stepwise care and the indications for surgical or other interventional cardiology procedures for patients 
is slightly more open than it was a decade ago, but we've tried to be very, very clear on when you might consider advancing a patient to an invasive option. One of the things that's getting a lot of attention and press these days is a new drug that has been targeted specifically for the treatment of patients with HCM. But because that drug has just finished its first trials and it's not yet FDA approved, we don't talk about its place or potential place in therapy in this guideline document because it hasn't been formally vetted with the long-term safety data. So we do mention it in a future section of the guideline, but we don't talk about where that might fit in. And I think that we're going to see that evolve over the next couple of years. Excellent. And finally, Dr. Amon, what's one key takeaway that you'd like our audience to bring home? I think, again, in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, patients deserve the opportunity to participate in the decisions about their diagnosis, and treatment options. That team that helps patients through those decisions includes their primary care providers, their primary or local cardiologist. And if that primary or local cardiologist isn't an expert in HCM, then likely there's also going to be an expert who's also part of that person's team. And that broad team that helps take care of one patient, we believe is the optimal way to treat patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And using that scheme has resulted in a improvement in the outlook for patients in HCM, where traditionally it was felt to be a disease that was fraught with morbidity and mortality. Now we know this disease, when treated according to these guidelines, is completely compatible with normal longevity and a great quality of life. Well, with that key takeaway in mind, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Steve Amen, for sharing his insights on these updated guidelines and emerging treatment opportunities for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Dr. Amen, it was great having you on the program. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Advanced Treatments and Innovations from Mayo Clinic. To access other episodes in the series, visit ReachMD.com slash Advanced Treatments Innovations Mayo Clinic where you can be part of the knowledge.